Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I've uh, been putting together over the last while where I like to talk about all things investing, where I share with you some of my observations, some of my takes about what's going on in the stock market, what's going on in the whole investing world, as well as share with you uh, other perspectives from other people about their takes about what's going on in the stock market. Um, finally, uh, one of the things I like to do here is also share with you my thought processes that go into how I make my own investment decisions. The whole goal here is to give you hopefully some, some nuggets of information, some insights, some perspectives that are going to hopefully you can take away uh, and be able to bring them back into your own personal circumstance and ultimately help you make better investment decisions. My name is Amin Reina, and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And what I do as an investment coach is I try to help people who want to become more financially independent. The problem is that when it comes to investing, a lot of people feel really frustrated, feel really confused, and intimidated by the whole investing concept. They either don't know where to start when it comes to investing or They've been investing for a long time and just aren't making any traction with their portfolios. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people. I try to engage with people on helping them to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can reach a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and achieve it with confidence. So this is episode 110, episode 110. And today I will share with you um, Something I've really been thinking about, putting a lot of thought into in the last while in terms of trying to figure out um, what kinds of uh, investment opportunities are out there, where I kind of want to put my own my own savings into uh, going forward in the future and trying to figure out what are going to be the next great stocks out there to to want to hold. And for those of people who have been following my podcast or following me what I do on my, on my website, sageinvestors.ca, uh, I talk a lot about having an invest in, investing ideology, having sort of, a, a, a sort of some guiding principles in terms of how you are going to make investment decisions. And you know, for me, um, my ideology is all driven by quality. I want to own quality, well-run, well-managed businesses that are you know, the leader of the leaders in their sectors. And I want to buy them when they're cheap and sell them when they're expensive. And uh, that's been my ideology. But through all that, and I kind of hold myself to that, um, also along the way, I'm also looking for themes, investing themes, sort of ideas that could potentially become really dominant ideas and ultimately companies that are able to execute on them to be dominant companies and ultimately to have dominant stock prices. And in the past, you know, I've had I've developed different kinds of investing themes, but you know, earlier on earlier when I started investing way way back, um, oil was a big investing theme. I owned a lot of oil in the mid 90s while everybody was owning dot com stocks, I was out there buying oil because I thought oil was like one of the best run companies out there. Oil companies are some of the best run companies on the planet making tons of profit, nobody wanted to own them, so I went out and bought them and did well for myself on them. Over the years, I've adopted other different types of investing themes like water, you know, I, I, the thesis being, you know, I, next, I think the next great battle or conflict in the world is gonna have some element involving water, the, the scarcity of it, we're running out of water. Look what's happening in South Africa right now in uh, Cape Town, they're running out of water, cities running out of water. Um, 
Other themes I've also done over the years, over the last while, I've been looking a lot more at the retail side in terms of the luxury, uh, luxury retailers, discounted retailers, because of that hollowing out effect because of the middle, of the middle class has really created uh, uh, an extreme demand on both sides of the income scale. And my most recent investing theme that I've adopted really has a lot to do with Trump um, in the sense that, you know, his mandate is really to roll back the clock. He wants to go back you know, to the 1980s when, you know, companies ran unfettered, like uh, the financial, like, you know, um, financial industry, financial banks and financial services before, you know, uh, the Glass-Steagall was uh, renounced, I guess. Basically going back to a really unregulated uh, world and also adopt a lot of, you know, the military aspect to it, sort of, sort of the guns and butter kind of theme. And over the last year or so, I've been kind of putting my money into those kinds of themes on there. So, you know, themes are uh, something that I always try to look at. Um, I want to have some component of there um, within my portfolio. So, on the topic of themes, I've been trying to think of, okay, what's another theme that I could probably want to, like, want to play out a little bit and think about more and potentially identify companies. And I got a bit of an inspiration um, reading a, uh, a blog post from Scott Galloway. Now, if you don't heard of Scott Galloway, he is probably he's one of the more forward-thinking. Not forward. I say he's probably one of, the he's one of the more articulate, passionate, and compelling to me um, observers of modern-day business. And if you just Google Scott Galloway and uh, the Four Horsemen, he gives a presentation on YouTube um, for about ten minutes. That's probably one of the most unbelievable presentations. I've never seen anything like that. This guy is just a machine. You think he's not even human. He thinks he's just a robot. But this guy just comes out and just fires away at with so much numbers and so much data and so much analytics. It's just unbelievable. But he's just very compelling in terms of how he can frame a story. And a lot of what he's been doing recently has been involving um, the FANG, the Facebook, the uh, Amazon, Apple, uh, Netflix, and all that. And so he's a very good, I think he's one of the more compelling observers of the business market and he's kind of got a sense about kind of seeing where things are going with respect to how business is done and who are going to be the winners and the losers and what are the big trends and things like that so um, so he posted a blog um, a while ago and he was basically making a commentary about uber and uber at the time was going through all kinds of governance issues with their ceo just you know losing it and all kinds of garbage going on with the company and he wrote a blog piece in terms of how uber can kind of get itself uh write itself write the ship and get on you know and continue on um because he thinks you know uber's got a really compelling product so he put this quote, he had this quote in, uh, I'm just going to quote this section of the blog, I'm going to read it out, and it kind of fed into, inspired me to, to think about some things. So let me just read this out first, and then we'll get on with it. So Galloway says, um, quote, Begin thinking of Uber as an OS. The most impressive firm of the 90s was the original gangster leveraging the operating system, Microsoft. The most influential firms of the last decade, the four, which he, he, wrote a book, he just recently wrote a book on, um, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, have become the operating systems for retail, media, connections, and information, respectively. And, because of that, extract serious rents from the apps that sit on top of their OSs. What firm has busted a move and blown through $100 billion in market cap that isn't effectively an OS? 
The latest, Netflix, has taken advantage of the extraordinary ca lame cable industry and now occupies the second most important screen, the television. Netflix has increased its market cap 2,400% in the last five years. In sum, and it brings it back to Uber, the only way Uber can get from being a $70 billion company to a $700 billion company is to become the OS for travel, becoming the user interface, API, the rules for all becoming the rules for all transportation. Leveraging AI, artificial intelligence, cheap capital, and relationships with 40 million of the planet's wealthiest consumers each month, Uber should expand its offering, bracket dramatically. Same interface that we all know, but instead of just entering uh, ACK Airport, where I'm headed Sunday morning, I type in London. And using AI, connecting the dots of my preferences, economic weight class, deals at the time, APIs, Uber presents the best options not for not just the ride to the airport, but the flights to JFK, then London, then the car that's going to pick me up, and the hotel I'm going to be staying at. Uber has the license to do this. The ride-hailing firm can't get there on its own and will require other, fir other, other, other firms. And he goes on to talk about how they should partner up with Expedia, Priceline, and kind of, and I'm going to get into this in a second. So this, this little this section here really got me thinking about this whole concept of ecosystems and, and OSs. And ultimately, I think what he's trying to get at here is, you know, traditionally we review, we view, you know, dominant companies, the best of the best, best of breed companies, those companies that have the most market, have, have the greatest market share. And if you have the highest market share, you can control, you know, influence that, that's your industry quite heavily because people are going to go after you. He's taking a different approach that because of technology, it's the companies that are going to dominate in the 21st century are not necessarily the ones are going to have the dominant market share, but they're going to have the dominant market share not because of the products they sell, but also because of controlling the ecosystem, building a really interesting, attractive um, ecosystem or OS, an operating system, that's going to draw people and it's going to actually allow them to control a lot of things, kind of be the gatekeeper for various products and services that are sold within their industry. And so I thought, that's really interesting. And I thought, hmm, okay, so he's talking about Uber. Like he just gave an analogy with respect to Uber and travel, that concept. So I was, it got me to thinking, you know what? Maybe it's kind of be kind of interesting to kind of apply the same concept to other sectors and other businesses, other industries, and see potentially who could potentially be those the the companies out there um, that would have have the potential and could easily own or control the ecosystem to be that dominant com company in their in their sector and if they are can if they can control that ecosystem that OS then ultimately the stock market is going to value those companies a lot more higher they're going to put a premium on those companies and put a discount on kind of the companies that can't um, you know enter that space or control that space so um, I thought you know that's an interesting idea. so I'm gonna try to figure this out so I try you know for, for people who have uh, who followed me before um, one of the things I try to, I've, I've told people who want to get into investing, one of the biggest struggles people have is like trying to figure out what stocks to even look at or consider. And a lot of times uh, what I've done is people that I've worked with, I've, I've applied a certain uh, idea in the sense of, in terms of figuring out what stocks you want to buy or what stocks you want to ev evaluate or analyze, start with sort of the necessities of life. Start with 
things that you and I need on a daily basis to survive. So what are those things? Usually they come into in the forms of food, clothing, shelter, transportation, and to a certain extent communication. So I thought, you know, these are pretty much five core sectors um, that there's always going to be demand for. And potentially there could, could, there could be one or two companies out there that could essentially have the potential to control the ecosystem for each of these different sectors. So I went through kind of a, sort of a mind map exercise or a kind of a th thought exercise of trying to figure out for each of these sectors who potentially could be the players the companies that could own that sector, who could own the OS and control the OS and control the ecosystem um, that'll enable them to sell products via through their platform. And uh, to me, I thought it's pretty cool because it's kind of a second level thinking exercise. And again, I did a podcast on this whole second level thinking in the sense that I'm looking here, I'm not looking at this you know, I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to identify companies really for a short-term trade kind of thing. These are kind of, this exercise is really thinking really way out, like maybe four or five years down the road, of potentially who could be the real dominant players out here. And the way technology is evolving, it may even be faster. So I thought this was really, this would be a really good exercise. So I just, essentially, I want to share with you what I came up with. And ultimately, you know what, that's just my interpretation. Uh, my perspective, you could have totally different perspectives, and I'd love to hear from it. But I just wanted to share with you, and I actually put a blog together. I blogged. Uh, I'm going to put a link to my blog post on this, so you can actually see it in writing what I've what I've what I've put together. And uh, I thought it'd be a really cool exercise to figure out. Just try to figure out, okay, what are the next great companies out there, and that potentially could control um, ecosystems and operating systems for accessing in, in terms of selling products and services. So I went through each of these um, um, sectors, food, clothing, shelter, transportation, and communication. And um, at first when I started to look at it, I found, wow, this is actually kind of hard. And so I, I decided to approach it from actually different perspectives. First, look at it from a sector-by-sector -sector basis, identify who the players could be. But then I decided, you know what, I'm going to just look at it from who the existing, what existing ecosystems and operating systems are out there, and potentially try to fill in the blanks and seeing which sectors could be really conducive for each of these ecosystems. And then finally, I kind of looked at it from a different lens in the sense I looked at it from an income perspective. Uh, try to figure out which ecosystems, which OSs out there are conducive for people at different, for different incomes. You know, upper level, um, you know, high net worth, low level, middle income kind of thing. And see, is there any kind of patterns that kind of emerge? Um, so let's go through it. So I just want to make sure I got all my stuff here. All right, cool. So the first section I looked through was food. And when I did food, the main players that I kind of identified who could be food is is really actually of all these sectors is probably the most intense right now there is a battle there's a war going on right now for control of people's access to food and you know retail experience with respect to food and right now the big players right now in the game are Amazon that I think are are Amazon Walmart and to a certain extent, I've kind of put them as kind of a runner-up, is Costco. And potentially what we're seeing right now, we're seeing a real battle for, for that control of that portal. And Amazon has 
always wanted to be involved in it. They've been more of the traditional product kind of company. But now when they purchased face, uh, Facebook, when they purchased Whole Foods, that was a real shot in the bat. To me, that's, that was a game changer moment because they were saying, you know what, they're, they've been an e-commerce company and now they're buying actual grocery stores. They're actually buying buildings. They're actually buying land. And so now they're, they're basically saying that they want to go out there and they want to own the food OS, the OS for food. And that was a big you know, um, throw down, um, I think, by that Whole Foods purchase. That being said, there's other players. Walmart, you know, is already the dominant grocery chain out there. Um, they're not going to sit by, and they're, they've been traditionally weak on e-commerce, but now that they're partnering with Google, they've, they've partnered with Google to make their inventory kind of linked up through Google, and also they've partnered with JD.com, which has incredible competencies and expertise in terms of e-commerce, they're positioning themselves to be a real player in this whole food space. Um, so I thought those two companies are kind of like, if I'm thinking about food and who could own the OS for food, it's right now it could be Amazon, it could be Walmart, and they're just gonna duke it out. I don't know who's gonna win out of it, but they, I think those are the players right now. Um, more so than the traditional grocery, grocery, um, grocery stores that we think of, Loblaws, Safeway, um, Kroger, um, they're there, they have the capability, the expertise, but they don't have the online um, aspect, which is now going to be a very big factor. Um, so I thought they may not, I kind of didn't even think those traditional type retailer would be would be in the game. Costco I put in there because they do have the scale. Um, but again, they don't have that online technology focus, although they're definitely trying to get there. Um, I found, you know, I thought about, you know what, who would be interesting to see, you know, uh, who could kind of, how could Costco really get into the game um, with Amazon and Walmart? And uh, the, the only way I could think of it would be for them to actually get bought out or they to go and buy somebody out. And one of the things I kind of, again, these are stretch ideas I'm thinking of is I, I would think maybe it wouldn't surprise me if a company like Apple were to go and buy Costco. If Apple was serious, serious to want to be um, to want to be owning the ecosystem for food. That's the easy way for 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 Apple to want to do that. Right now, they have no desire to do that. But I'm saying if they wanted to, that would be kind of a natural um, um, pair up, natural hookup. Um, would be through that. So food is really going to be an interesting uh, battle uh, in terms of who could potentially own the, the ecosystem for it. And uh, right now, I think it's Amazon and it's Walmart are kind of the players right now um, with that side of it. Okay, so that's food. So then I went to clothing. Now, clothing was a little bit more complicated. Food is food. Like, you go and you get what you want to get. Um, it's not as easy. You can't just diify a company or a bunch of companies who potentially could own the OS for, for clothing, for apparel, because the thing, the nature of clothing is it's very, it's, it's the fashion sense of it, the fashion component of it, which is very subjective. And you got to kind of have a sense for what people want and what people like. And people are very finicky. And when you're dealing with demographics, people at older ages will prefer this and the younger. There's a lot of ver like moving targets with respect to clothing. Um, and so what I thought was um, that you just can't really identify 
a single kind of dominant company for it. I think you have to kind of break it down into some different segments. And so what I did was I broke the clothing category up into three different segments. I broke it up into generics, generic staples. These are things like, you know, t-shirts, socks, uh, you know, underwear, just the kind of the go-to things we need on a day-to-day basis. Try to figure out what companies are involved there. Um, I went to, I had a section on sporting apparel, try to find what kind of Companies could be the dominant players or dominant um, ecosystems for for sporting equipment, sporting goods, sporting clothing. And then finally, the luxury segment, which is um, more higher-end quality goods, higher-end goods, brand name goods. Are there any potential companies out there that could potentially own the luxury brand side of it? So that was kind of how I broke it down. So first, generics. Um, the candidates I identified were, again, Walmart, Costco, and Amazon. I think they are the kind of, because of their scale, um, because of the uniform mainstream nature of the of, of the staple kind of goods, they pretty much, I think, own that. So, you know, buying t-shirts, buying s- diapers, buying just generic kind of goods, staple kind of products, those, you know, because of their size and scale, they can, can compete on price, and they have the they have the distribution to get things out to you really fast. So Walmart, Costco, and Amazon to me were potentially the, the OSs that potential OSs for generics, um, generic apparel. For sporting apparel, I identified Nike, Adidas, and sort of um, honorable mention is Under Armour. And honestly, right now, if you're looking at sporting right now, sporting apparel, it's pretty much Nike. They they dominate the brand. They dominate sporting equipment, goods, apparel, all over the planet. And there's no reason for them if they built a really compelling platform for you to order goods, purchase goods, customize your equipment, customize your apparel. Um, they could potentially be the dominant player with respect to sporting apparel out there and they are showing it and they're trying to do that like you can order customized shoes and clothing through nike directly and uh and so if they build a compelling platform for uh, for for consumers to integrate and get that kind of easily get that kind of those kind of sporting apparel type products they could really own it and adidas more so because they you know they are also a much more they're a global brand um much bigger in europe but they're making headway in north america under Armour is kind of like the the kind of the young upstart, and potentially, you know, they've built, they've cut out a, a good market share for themselves. Um, but do they have the scale to compete with with Nike in terms of you know developing a platform to 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 bring people in? It's kind of hard to tell right now. So, sporting apparel like Nike to me it seems like a dominant could be like that potentially that company that could own the OS for sporting apparel, and then finally. Uh, luxury brands, and I identified um, Louis Vuitton, Saks, Nordstrom, and Apple as potentially companies that could own the luxury retail space. And Louis Vuitton, I picked. I thought Louis Vuitton would be a candidate because they Louis Vuitton is just not handbags anymore. The Louis Vuitton umbrella conglomerate they own hundreds of the most recognized brand names in luxury in luxury retail out there. And if they built, were able to build a platform that could draw people into that their ecosystem and offer them these wonderful experiences with their brands, um, they could they could they could own this. They could own uh, luxury retail. 
Um, I put down also Saks and Nordstrom, again, because of that retail component. They are the traditional retailer, but they do have that high-end luxury um, brand. And again, Nordstrom actually is probably, I would put Nordstrom probably ahead of Saks because they, do, they have invested heavily in e-commerce. And they could easily be, and you combine that with a strong customer service record that they have, Nordstrom could be a real player in the luxury space area. Um, and finally, the other player I had was Apple. Even though Apple doesn't sell, you know, luxury, you know, um, you know, apparel and clothing, Apple, you know, in my eyes, Apple is a luxury brand, and they sell, they sell, they've, you know, they sell high-end phones and high-end tablets and watches. They sell Hermes. Um, their retail experience is very much a customized high-end experience. If Apple chose to want to get into that retail side of it, that you know, traditional clothing retail side of it, they could be a player because they have the f they've already built up that ecosystem, and they have so many people in that ecosystem that are upper upper income, high income people that spend a lot of money, uh, probably at some of the at Saks and Nordstrom and Louis Vuitton. They could be players too. So I lumped Apple in here as a potential player in the luxury retail clothing apparel kind of space. So that's clothing. As you say, it's very fragmented, but it's interesting to see how potentially there are companies out there that could be real players here. Finally, uh, not finally, um, the third area of the sector that I looked at was transportation. And already I kind of highlighted kind of Galloway, Scott Galloway in his little blog post that I quoted earlier, kind of identified how the players are going to shake out with it with respect to Uber, um, Priceline, Expedia, TripAdvisor, Air, Airbnb. Google, Facebook, these are companies I think that have a really good shot at owning the OS for travel, for transportation. And and it really comes down to whoever, whichever of these companies can sort of build that kind of food chain or that to supply chain of, you know, a combination of, you know, car rentals, um, hotel, tr uh, plane bookings, vacations, experiences, the experiential side of, of traveling, whoever can offer all of these elements under one unique kind of platform has a really good solid chance of owning the space, of owning the OS, of owning the ecosystem for, tra for travel and transportation. And um, so, you know, Galloway talks about Uber potentially being that because they've got a platform, they've got a kind of a really attractive platform. Um, but they need to build on it. They need to kind of grow beyond just being a cab sharing, you know, cab hailing service. If they are going to survive, they need to, whoever is going to be the dominant player, they have to own these various elements. They have to have these elements within their, their, their product mix and, and have the platform to seamlessly deliver those products in a very timely, seamless, and, you know, painless manner. And, you know, Galloway cites the example of like booking a trip to London. I should be able to go to a platform and uh, an ecosystem that is going to book my flight, rent my car, um, book me in a hotel, and uh, book my reservations for dinner, for my dinner excursions, all in one shot. And it should be able to do that by understanding who I am through the AI concept and do that. And so potentially any of these players could be players. So if you're looking at framing your investment decisions, you're looking, you know, Uber isn't, you know, a public company, but Expedia is and Priceline is, TripAdvisor is, um, Google is a player right now. If you go to Google Flights, you can get information. Like they, they have the platform for you to get information on any flight out there on the planet and book it directly through Google. Um, 
Same thing with Expedia. Um, maybe Google could be a real player, has a potential to be a really big player in the travel side because they've kind of already made that foray and they have that competency and that critical mass to do it. Um, Facebook potentially, but I don't know, maybe I put them down in my, in my post, but I don't know, maybe Facebook could be a player from offering the experiential side of it. Um, but if they wanted to, maybe they go buy a you know go buy a Uber or hook up with Uber, hook up with Priceline, and offer those components. But it's they could they could do it. They are easily able to do it if they wanted to. Um, second area, shelter. Another next area I was looking at shelter, and this is kind of interesting because when we're looking at real estate, if we want to buy a house, rent a condo, rent a home, rent a rent an apartment. It's very much a data-driven thing, and it's also a location-driven element. The data and location are really what drives your interaction with, with, with any potential ecosystem or potential platform. And right now, those dominant players that I could think of in terms of shelter who could own the uh, ecosystem for shelter, uh, for real estate, is Google because of that whole GPS side of it that they have really good at, they're really good at. And also Zillow, um, when I'm thinking in the U.S., they've developed quite an incredible platform um, that just not just tells you what houses are for sale, but just links you into so many other different services like mortgages, um, rating communities, rating schools. They, they provide a very nice, interesting umbrella. And so I could see Google being that kind of company. Maybe just go out and buy Zillow and try to, if they were interested in being that dominant player in the real estate side of it so in shelter so Zillow and Google kind of jumped out at me on the shelter side and so finally the last area I was looking at was uh, media the media section entertainment communication who could be the real players and this one is almost in a way like food and is that there's quite a few players but they're really some strong players and it's going to be an epic battle to me the big players who could potentially own the media entertainment space are Netflix, uh, Disney, Apple, Google, and HBO, which is right now under Time Warner. So, and then I put honorable mention potentially Twitter and Facebook. So, we're actually living through a bit of a revolution in that traditionally, um, the peop the most powerful people in the media entertainment uh, sector have been the people that own the the pipes to transfer all the goods to transfer content. But now the tables have turned because of technology in that traditional like movie studios, TV networks, and, and the like are not dependent upon cable, satellite, because of the internet. They can easily now, instead of selling their content through a, you know, a, middle, a middle person, they can go directly to consumers on their own and offer an app, offer a program, a subscription service directly to consumers and sell content directly and that's a big change in terms of how that business is run and when you look at what's happening right now what's happening is it's not about owning the pipes anymore in the media entertainment space it's about content whoever has the most compelling content really has the ability to influence and dominate the market and that's what you're seeing right now um, with what companies like Netflix are doing, they're trying to like get away from now. They're they're spending more money developing their own content because they want to control the platform. They want to build an ecosystem where they can control it. Disney already is probably the dominant right now because they own Star Wars, they own Mickey Mouse, they own Marvel, Pixar, 
um, ESPN, ABC, they right now are positioned to be a really strong candidate for owning the OS for entertainment. And the big you know, uh, event that kind of signaled that is earlier last year, um, Disney announced that they're going to strip away from Netflix and they are going to go out on their own and develop their own content streaming service and sell all these incredible library that they have um, directly to consumers. So Disney, I think, is potentially a really, really, really big player. Um, HBO, and it kind of follows the path what HBO does, and HBO is kind of, I think, the father of all this, um, the creator, the pioneer of all this in the sense that all their content is developed in-house, and they've developed so much amazing content that they're now saying, you know what, I don't need to sell it through a cable company and charge 15 bucks a month. I'll just go out on my own and charge 10 bucks a month and go directly con to consumers, and that's what they're doing. Apple is probably, I would say, the OS owns the ecosystem for music, but they really don't own the ecosystem or aren't really still not the players with respect to media content, whether you know TV, movies, film, but that's changing too. They have $250 billion in the bank. I think of all the areas that Apple probably wants to be more dominant in, I think it is in this particular sector, um, media and entertainment. So I could see Apple being um, a really big player. And then finally, Google, more so through their YouTube platform, again, about owning content, they're looking getting into heavily into developing a lot more, um, not, to, not more so depending upon people posting stuff on their, on their site, but developing their own content. And so I could see Google being that kind of player with that and their Android platform. They potentially could be a dominant player, um, dominant ecosystem in the media entertainment side. And then I put honorable mention Twitter and Facebook. Twitter potentially, you know, if they can kind of get their governance together, they have the potential to be kind of the, the ecosystem for live events, for live news as things happen, be that second screen for watching a particular watching the Oscars and seeing what people are tweeting about it, what and, and engaging in meaningful discussion same with Facebook they could potentially be that second screen um, in our living room um, whether it's a second TV or our phone in terms of live events um, that kind of their that kind of ecosystem they could be the dominant players in the terms of live events news sports um, um, big entertainment live entertainment kind of stuff concerts Potentially, they could be a big player in that. So, as you can see, there's it's just like you can just go on forever on this stuff, and uh, and I think I'll just stop it right there because I think if you go to my website, on my blog post, um, I go into a little bit more detail because I actually go into rating the existing ecosystems that are out there, which would right now be the Amazon Alexa. Google Home, Apple with their new HomePod, and also Facebook, and say, you know what, which companies, uh, would, which sectors, food, clothing, shelter, entertainment, could be big players in the Amazon platform ecosystem, or the Apple platform, or the uh, Facebook platform. I looked at it from that perspective. So if you go on my blog website, sageinvestors.ca, you, you can see my little blurb on trying to figure out who could be the dominant ecosystems from what's out there right now. And then the final kind of perspective or lens that I was looking at this, I went through this exercise, was looking at income. With lower, 
lower income people or higher income people, would they gravitate to certain ecosystems, certain operating systems? Well, I thought for higher income people, I thought they would gravitate more towards the Apple side of it because again, higher brand product, quality product, um, higher price points. Um, I thought the from a higher income side of it, Apple potentially could be a real dominant ecosystem for it. It is probably right now. I think the numbers show it. Um, Mid-level to low-level income, I was thinking more so um, Amazon and Google would probably be the players more so in the lower and middle income streams um, because of the nature of the staples, nature of the product, groceries, um, food, like retail, like shelter kind of thing. Go Amazon, Google could be, could be players in that sense. So different perspectives. And so actually, so at the end of the day, what I came out of this with was that and I didn't really realize it, but it seems like Google or Alphabet, they really have a potential to be kind of very influential in a lot of these different sectors. Um, I looked at it from, from food to clothing to shelter to travel, travel uh, transportation, um, entertainment. Like they, they literally have their paws on each of these sectors and could really weigh a lot of influence. So again, looking at it from an investment perspective, um, you know, instead of looking at Google as just a search company, you know, as a at the end of the day, we're trying to make decisions, educated decisions about what's gonna happen in the future. And so, you know, when I'm looking at the future, I'm going, wow, if Google's gonna have the potential to be involved in one or more of these areas, um, that may be a stock I may want to hold on to. I may want to take a look at that a little bit more closely. So that's what one of the things that came out of, of, out of it. Um, ultimately, if you look at it really like simplistically, it's like FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, Amazon, like buy those stocks. Um, but I don't think if you're going to look at these stocks, I don't think you have to look, you should look at them from the context of what they have been or what we know them to be because I think that's the first level thinking in terms of analyzing these companies. I think hopefully through my little exercise that I've gone through here, I've been able to show you that you need to look at these companies in terms of what they could potentially be in the future. Um, and ultimately you're making an educated guess about how these companies could be operating in the future. The final thing I wanna leave you with also with this, with this exercise is I think this exercise was very North American focused in the sense I'm trying to define the players that are gonna dominate the North American consumer market or the North American marketplace. But just because they dominate, they could potentially dominate the North American marketplace, doesn't mean they're gonna dominate other parts of the world in Europe or Southeast Asia or South Asia or wherever. Um, there could be totally different players out there that could own operating systems. There could be a totally different player. Like, there's nothing to see reason like, you know, companies like Tencent, um, Alibaba, um, they could be, you know, H&M, um, they could be the dominant OSs in other parts of the world. Not necessarily North America. JD.com is another one. They're trying to make a foray into North America now um, with, with Walmart and, uh, so that's another as aspect you you have to kind of if you're going to go through this exercise, is you know f understand your your the universe you're working with. You like understand that some of these companies that I've talked about here could really be be big players in North America, but they may not necessarily be big players in the world. And the fact of the matter is, we're becoming a more global economy. You know, we are a more global based economy. Um, we're more open in that sense, 
And so you kind of have to factor that element too, bring that lens into, into your analysis. So I thought, it, you know, I found it a really interesting um, exercise just for me to try to figure out, okay, what could be the next future dominant brands or dominant companies. And I thought if I looked at it through the perspective of just trying to identify which companies could own sort of that distribution side of where um, the distribution channel, which is very much online now, um, those companies could essentially be really gatekeepers and could charge rent on, on, on you know, higher rent to people who want to get into that area. And ultimately, you're creating a captive audience, captive customer base, much more potential for long-term growth and ultimately long, much more potential for long-term stock prices. So I thought it was an interesting exercise I went through and I wanted to share it with you. I'd love to hear your insights on it. If you have any questions or comments, you can hit me through my webpage, which is sageinvestors.ca. Um, you can hit an email through there. You can find me also on Twitter. My handle is at Sage Investors. I'm on there all the time tweeting, uh, talking about the markets, uh, tweeting my own investment decisions on there. Also, you can find me on my Facebook page, Sage Investors. And also, I would like to share with you that I am now on Instagram. Um, if you go, my handle is uh, Sage Investor Nation. Sage Investor Nation. And uh, I'm on there. Uh, I'm, I'm posting stuff. I'm trying to post stuff a little bit more regularly, um, more specifically videos. Um, I try to get on there once a day and just post a quick quick hit in terms of what's going on in the markets that day and give you my takes and my perspective. So if you're interested in that, you can follow me on Instagram, Sage Investor Nation, and I'm on there over uh, there. Feel free to follow and feel free to comment or anything like that. Also, um, this podcast and all my podcasts are also on iTunes. So feel free to go on there, do a search on Sage Investors, and you can... Uh, subscribe and leave some comments, follow away and listen to your heart's del delight on this and also my previous episodes. So that's all I got for you today. And I'm going to wrap that up. So thank you very much for listening. This has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.